Hey friend, are you struggling to find consistent paid speaking gigs? Do you want to know the exact six steps that you can take to find and book more paid speaking opportunities in 2024? Well, we want to make that easy for you. We've created a new free resource with the help of Dan Irvin, one of our highly successful speakers on our team. Dan has booked over $100,000 in paid speaking gigs in the last few years, and his six-step process is going to help you maximize your chances of getting booked and paid to speak in any industry. You're going to learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, and proposal emails and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps and we're going to send you this 18-page guide straight to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps and you're going to get that free guide. Hey, thanks for listening. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. We are glad that you are here. We are rapidly wrapping up 2018, coming up on 2019. I hope you've had a phenomenal year. Hope you've had a good holiday season and you are ready to go for the new year. So today we've got a great guest for you. We've got a a student of ours that we've worked with for a little while now and and has had some success speaking in schools. And so we're going to be talking with him in just a second. Before we get there, as we wrap up this year, as we look toward next year, if you are wanting help to build and grow your speaking business, then you definitely want to check out freespeakerworkshop.com. Freespeakerworkshop.com. This is a free training that we offer walking you through a step-by-step plan of exactly how you can find and book paid speaking engagement. So definitely check that out. Again, you can go over to freespeakerworkshop.com, freespeakerworkshop.com. All right, so today we're going to be talking with Ryan Hack, and uh, Ryan's a, a great speaker. He does a lot of speaking to elementary schools, so we're going to be talking about that. It's kind of a, uh, an interesting niche, and we're going to be talking about the different fee ranges for elementary schools. Can I talk, talk about the pros and cons of speaking to elementary schools? Now, one of the unique things about Ryan is he also has uh, what he would term as a, a kind of a physical difference, something that he was born with. It's kind of unique. And so we talk about how he has incorporated that into his talks. We also talk about how he balances speaking with a, uh, a full-time job. So lots to get to. Let's jump right in and enjoy this conversation with Ryan Hack. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here today, joined by my buddy Ryan Hack, who is uh, a student with Inside, uh, with Inside, I don't even think that that's accurate, inside of our Booked and Paid to Speak training program. Uh, I actually went through the program several years ago and uh, has booked a lot of schools and uh, different uh, speaking engagements since then, which we'll be uh, covering and talking about today. So, uh, Ryan, thanks for joining us, man. How are you? I'm great, Grant. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, let's start by giving us kind of a nutshell of you, what you speak about, and who you speak to. Sure. So I was born, oh gosh, over 40 years now, 40 years ago now. And I was born with one hand, I'm missing my left hand just past my elbow. And so growing up, that really didn't mean a whole lot to me. I didn't change the way I lived my life. I had a lot of great friends, great family, great teachers. Um, We're all very supportive. And so it wasn't until I was in really my, my early 30s that I actually even thought about you know, I could help other people who who are like me or are in similar situations. Yeah. And so I started a website. I started making videos about how I do things. I did my own podcast. Um, and then, you know, I've, I've always been one to, uh, I took to the stage easily. And so it was something that I felt comfortable talking to people. And I thought this could be a way, another way that I can help people. And so my, my main thing that I do now is, is go around and do assemblies at elementary schools. And I, I wrote a kid's book uh, called Different is Awesome. It's really about accepting and embracing and celebrating differences uh, that we all have. And so I get to go into schools and kind of get in front of kids and 
show them uh, what it looks like to be physically different, how I right. do things differently, and and then encourage them, you know, to accept themselves and accept others the way that they are. Very cool. Good for you. Well, I'm curious because I think there may be people listening going, okay, I've dealt with something. Um, sure. And maybe like to your case, it may be a physical difference. Maybe it'd be something that they've overcome or some whatever it is. And going, I think that there's something here that I can help other people with. Mm-hmm. But to go from that there's something here that I have a story to share to speaking of all the different you know methodologies of how you could go about helping someone. Why speaking for you? Well, I think for me, I mean, I, so it's funny because I'm naturally, I'm an introvert. And so I, I find I a lot my, of speakers are that we've talked about that yeah. on the podcast before, but a lot of speakers, yep. myself included, like are very introverted. Sure. And it's really, you know, people talk about how, oh, you must be shy and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's, it's not that it's mm-hmm. where you get your energy. And so exactly. when I'm, I would much rather, and this sounds hilarious to people who are not speakers or who do do not want to speak, when I'm like, I would much rather be on a stage in front of a thousand people giving a talk than being in a room with like three people that I don't know. <laughs> right, like, totally, that totally agree. all of my energy. Like totally. I have to go take a vacation after that. Totally. But And so for me, it really was kind of a natural, I don't know, just it, it's something that I'm drawn to and it's something that gives me energy when I'm when I'm out kind of doing my thing. And, you know, the knowing that it connects with people is huge for me as well. I think it would be different if if I was speaking and I didn't get any feedback or the feedback I got was negative, but it's it's always positive. And so to know that it's that it's helping other people is really encouraging for me. And it, it does it gives me energy as well. And so like for me, it's just a natural kind of a natural outlet to help people. So you mentioned that you were in your, would you say early thirties when you decided like, okay, I'm kind of intrigued by this speaking thing. What were you doing at the time in terms of your career? Um, well, I was, gosh, I was actually where I'm at now. Um, I actually work for a health insurance company full time and I'm transitioning out of that at the beginning. Obviously it was just kind of here and there kind of, you know, just testing out or whatever, but that was where I was then. And and it took a while. I mean, I, I struggle also with you know, anxiety issues and things like that. And so there are a lot of things I needed to work through when I first started helping other people because I, you know, what's, what's interesting. And I think we might talk about this a little bit as well. I mean, regards to my arm is that my philosophy, when I talk to parents um, who have a kid with a physical difference, my philosophy is don't draw attention to it, treat them like any other kid. You know, if you have other kids, treat them the same, Mm -hmm. you know, let them do the same things as everybody else. I'm really just trying to normalize it. So for me, I was like, okay, that's my philosophy. But then I'm also building this platform and business that centers on my difference, (laughs) you know, where I'm like, okay, I'm going out and and my main, not my main draw, but kind of is the reason I went to it is because I'm missing my hand. And so it isn't all about that, of course, but I mean, that was kind of the main thing. And so I struggled with that for a little while to kind of get my mind right about that that is my story. That's part of my story. Mm-hmm. I and mean, it's okay to use that to, to help other people. So how do you wrap your mind around that today? Like, what does that look like for you today? Uh, <sighs> I remember having a speech a speaker say one time, are you smoking what you're selling? Nice. Meaning <laughs> I'm saying this, but do I actually believe yep. it? And do I actually live it? Or does it go counter to what I'm actually doing in my life? So what does that look like to you today in terms of, of how you run your business and how you, how you present? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. And I think, I think as a lot of speakers who are helping or instructing or, or that kind of thing, I think we do it for our own benefit too, you know, in, in a lot of senses. So when I go out and I'm helping little kids who, 
don't necessarily know. I mean, they're curious. They don't know how to interact with people who look different than them. They, you know, say things that they shouldn't be saying. You know, we all know that. But it's like when you take that and you extrapolate it to being an adult, like, do I still struggle with staring at people who look different than I have? Well, yeah, sure. Sometimes I do. Yeah. I mean, I deal with that every day where grown men just do triple takes at me when I'm at the right. grocery store. And so it's something we all still need to hear. And so I think for me, the, the way that I look at it is it, it is a difference in my life. It's something that I don't typically think about on a day-to-day basis. It kind of weaves in and out of my life yeah. from time to time. But what I'm doing is very specific in helping other people. And that's how I was able to to kind of accept and embrace that part of it, that I can tell a parent, you know, treat your kid like anybody else. Don't draw attention to it. They're just a normal kid doing normal kid things and still present myself and say, hey, look at me. I have one hand and this is how I do things and this is how it affects my life because it's a, it's a specific thing that I'm doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Totally. So going back, you are, you're working at the health insurance company. You're there for a little while. You're intrigued by speaking. Why, I, I guess to take it a step back even further, is you're, you're intrigued by speaking. What do you do from there? Because I think that's the spot where a lot of people get stuck of going like, you know, maybe I spoke at a couple things here and there, maybe something mm-hmm. at work or something at church or something in the community. Yeah. I enjoyed it. It was fun. I want to do more of it. No clue what to do from here. Of, right. all, of <laughs> What do you speak about? How much do you charge? Do you even charge? How does that work? Right. Of all the different audiences you could speak to, you know, you, mm-hmm. you landed on elementary students. So kind of talk us through that process. I'm interested, no idea what to do now. What, what do you do from that point? Right. Well, I think, you know, for me, honestly, kind of making that step was a, a mutual friend of ours, Kyle Sheely, uh-huh. who I had met at a, a conference in Chicago. I called him by the wrong name. It was uh, kind of a disaster to start with. I was like, hey, have you guys seen so-and-so? They're like, well, that person doesn't exist. Wait, I think you mean Kyle. <laughs> and he's right here. And, and so we become very good friends. And he's an amazing speaker, as you yeah. know. And so I think you know, part of it was I was a youth pastor for a while, which I, a lot of people are as well. So I was, again, used to being in front of people. Mm-hmm. I'd spoken you know, in front of church and other various events and things like that. And so it was really kind of him saying, okay, and and looking in, maybe this sounds a little weird, but seeing someone who's a normal person, which again, Kyle's not a normal person, but I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, what I'm getting at <laughs> like, he's a person who's in front of me that I'm talking to sure. and he speaks for a living. Yep, like he yep. does this professionally. And it made me say, well, hold on. Like if, if he can do that, I feel like I could do that. Yeah. And, and we would probably do it in, in different ways. And we probably have maybe different audiences and that sort of thing. But that was kind of the encouragement for me to to look into it. And then he actually, he directed me your way. And, you know, I got in kind of on the, the ground floor of the booked and paid to, to speak stuff. And yeah. um, I still go through it occasionally. I was just, in fact, uh, going through it the other day, kind of the the audience part of it, you know, mm-hmm. determining who your audience is. Yeah. Because I love elementary school, but I've also done things for corporate events and associations. I did one for like the Wisconsin School Nurses Association. That was awesome. And so it's really about kind of like you said, like figure out what is it that you want to talk about? What is it that you can bring to people that can help them? And then where are those people? Right. Um, And kind of going to those those different places to share your message with them. So why elementary students for you? So if you you know you come from a a corporate health insurance background, you've worked as a youth pastor as well. There's a lot of different routes that you could go. Mm -hmm. So why elementary students? Yeah. So I think for it made sense in my case, because I wrote a kid's book, I wrote a children's book called Different is Awesome. And it's based on a true story. One of my younger brothers brought me for show and tell one year, uh, which was great. <laughs> and wow. so, 
Yeah, it was awesome. And I didn't no like future I, therapy needed for that. <laughs> it's like the only thing I remember from it, like they would just ask me basic questions, but then they, it quickly devolved into like, what's your favorite movie or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I remember yeah. this one kid who was like, how did you get here? And I was like, I drove <laughs> and he goes, you can drive. Yeah. And I was like, so, he, he was so surprised that I got so upset. I was like, yeah, you know what? I can fight too. I get that. You're great. <laughs> But if you want to fight, I can fight. Let's do it. But that, you know, at that time, I wasn't doing anything really specifically related to to my arm at all. That was pre everything. Yeah. And so later on, then I, I re- kind of remembered that story, and so it kind of retells that story. And all the kids who ask his brother questions, you realize along the way that there's something different about them as well, whether they're tall or short or green eyes or red hair or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the story, you realize we're all different in some way or another, and that's something to celebrate. So it really lent itself to, it's been incredibly successful and which is super exciting and really gratifying. I I literally, right before we got on here, got a picture of an elementary school that this lady bought a book and donated it to their elementary school. And so it really, it made a lot of inroads for me that just made a lot of sense that it, it connected with so many different kinds of people. I knew that I already had kind of a built in audience because of my online presence with people with limb differences specifically, but I felt like the message was more broad and that it would connect with, with basically everybody because we are all different. Um, And that has shown to be true. And so for me, that was a a huge thing. And then that led, you know, like the nurses association that made sense because they work at schools and they work with kids and, you know, so the, the message really translates to a lot of different areas, but elementary schools in particular really grasp, uh, that message and and want to start kids, you know, as young as they can to start appreciating their own differences and, and differences in other, other kids too. You said uh, one thing there I want to kind of touch on. You said that, you know, the, the idea of having a physical difference and the reality is that we all have some type of difference, mm-hmm. again, whether that's a physical or emotional or whatever it may be, something right. that makes us, you know, different and unique. That's the type of message that sure could be shared with anybody and everybody. And so I think mm-hmm. that's a challenge that a lot of speakers have is that I'm interested in speaking. I have an idea of what I want to speak about and I can logically make the case that it's for humans. It's for right. everybody, <laughs> yeah, right? For sure. And the reality is, is like if you try to appeal to humans, you're going to have a really difficult time making traction. So how have you found that balance of, I'm going to focus on elementary schools and I'm going to get some traction there, but I'm also kind of dabbling in some of these other areas without trying to appeal to anybody and everybody that's looking for a speaker. How have you found that balance? For sure. And and that's such a great point. And, And I've actually shared that with a lot of different people. And it works, I think, the same in writing and speaking that we have, like you said, we have this mindset that Well, I want to make it so the appeal is as broad as possible, so as many people can embrace this as possible, but it just, it doesn't really work that way. Like you said, like now if you're too niche, the examples of like underwater basket weaving or something like that, you're going to have a very tiny audience. So for me, like I said, the, the elementary audience, even though it can be challenging financially and otherwise makes the most sense for me. And I am passionate about it. You know, you, you talk a lot about what makes sense financially and it, are you passionate about it? Cause sure. you don't want to go up there and just be a robot, but I do love being the person who gets to come in and teach kids how to interact with other people and embrace themselves and others. And so it definitely is for me, you know, I do want to branch out into, you know, middle school, high school, um, do some even college things, mm-hmm. corporate things, but I find those to be different. Like I've done some corporate things where 
I talk more about like living a legacy, uh-huh. um, which is a more kind of an adult version of that. Yeah. And and talk about what what does that look like in your place of employment and in your personal life and that sort of thing. So it's a, a similar message, but in a different way for a different group. Yeah. And so you're right. Like it's it's finding those individual things that fit your message that you're passionate about, but not trying to just dilute it so that it fits everybody. Right, right, exactly. One of the other things that you mentioned earlier is part of the reason that you chose elementary schools is that you had a book for elementary students. So which came first, the book or the or the speaking? I would say the book for the most part. Well, yeah, no, I would say the book for sure. Like, had um, you always wanted to do a children's book? And it's like, okay, I have a children's book, and now as a natural extension of that, it makes sense to speak to schools or were you already speaking to schools and like, okay, if I'm going to do a book and I'm intrigued by doing a book, it makes sense to do one for elementary students. Does it make sense? Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I like think a chicken it was, egg situation. Yeah. Well, it was definitely book first. It was book first and that really opened up going into schools. I had talked to people about wanting to go into schools and that sort of thing, but I, I just, I don't think I really knew exactly what I was after at that point. Mm-hmm. And so the book actually came out in the summer July of 2015. And so that really was when I um, started to kind of go after elementary school specifically and just say, okay, this is, this is where I need to be. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, in fact, even just saying that I remember so many times texting my wife from wherever I was, Alabama, New York, California, wherever, and giving a talk and texting her and being like, this is right. This is what I need to be. Doing. It's a good this feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think if you have that feeling after you do something, you know you're doing the right thing. If you, I mean, obviously anything can go wrong, but <laughs> but for the most part, if you're doing something and you don't have that feeling afterwards, you might need to rethink what where you're where you're at. <laughs> right, right, very true. I'm curious. Let's talk about uh, elementary schools speaking uh, just in general. That's a big industry. There's a obviously there's thousands and thousands of elementary schools yeah. that exist. There's a lot of pros and cons. Can you kind of talk us through what are the pros and cons of speaking and focusing on on elementary schools? Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the pros I think are most, mostly um, satisfaction. And, and what I mean by that is being able to influence so many people at once who are at an age where they're, they're really impressionable. And so for me, it's really rewarding to go and to help teachers and to help students to kind of lay that foundation and lay that groundwork for them to, to become better people. And so that I think is really rewarding. I think some of the challenges are, you know, funds are, are hard to come by financially. It's, it's definitely challenging. There's, like you said, there's no shortage of schools. I mean, you go, I mean, I was just looking the other day at all the schools just in Wisconsin where I live Mm -hmm. and it's, it's amazing. I mean, you could, I could spend just this year, I could probably spend two years just doing schools in Wisconsin and be okay. And so it's a little overwhelming even (laughs) when you look at it, but the opportunities are definitely there. But then, like I said, the challenges can come in where they just financially don't have the ability to do that, or you're working with several different organizations, maybe the the PTA and the school and some other group are going to try to pool funds together to get you to come. There is, I think for me, it's difficult to have a fee and have a group that really wants you to be there, especially when it has to do with kids and parents and not be able to do it. I know that that's just a fact of life, but especially when you're dealing with, you know, I'll have moms. I I just had one recently who is in Portland and she has a, a son who has one hand and he's getting bullied. 
And she was just like, we need to bring you out here right now. And I contacted the school and they, they just financially couldn't do it. And so now I'm in the position where I have to tell the mom that, you know, I can't, you know, I can't do it, you know, and it's just, it's what that's hard. Um, so those are some of the the challenges I think with uh, elementary school stuff, but overall, I, I mean, I love it. And so with the upside being that there are a lot of elementary schools, I know a few elementary school speakers who really to them, it's more of a volume game, so to speak, mm-hmm. and that they may make less per school, but there's just so many schools. And especially like you said, if you go into one market, let's say, you know, if you're in Madison, Wisconsin, there are, I don't know, probably dozens of elementary schools just there that you could spend weeks and weeks just going from school to school, even at a lower fee. But I mean, you could do multiple schools in in one day. So is that typically the model that works best for speaking to elementary schools? I, I think so. Yeah. You know, we we had kind of discussed before this, I have a, a week's worth of school visits that I'm doing out in the Boston area at the end of January. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of how that came about is, is I've gone to this event out there for, I think this will be my sixth year. I'm going to be the main speaker there this year. And so I just put up a little video on my Facebook page and I was like, hey, if your kid goes to school around here, around Boston, let me know and maybe we can, you know, hook up a school visit. Right. And I immediately had all these requests. And I was able to give them kind of the the quote unquote local discount because I'm already going to be there. Sure. Um, and so price point was um, attractive to them for sure. Yeah. And I'm in the area, so it works for me. And so I have, you know, back-to-back schools for five days in a row in that area and then I can come home and, you know, it works out great that way. Um, and it does help with price too if you can kind of, I don't know, you know, bundle schools together. So it's like, hey, yeah. you've got three schools in that area. What if I spend two days there and then we can bring the price down a little bit and split it between the three of you, you know, something yeah. like that. It can get a little complicated, but ultimately it it is good for you as the speaker and it's great for them financially. So, yeah. And like you said, for like the Boston trip, for example, is, is it's mm-hmm. one thing for you to go and do one school, fly there, do one school, fly back. Yeah. That's probably right. going to be cost prohibitive for most schools, but for you to yep. go and do, you know, five days worth of multiple schools, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden it makes a lot more sense for them. And it makes a lot more sense for you that you're not coming right. home with one small check, but a bunch of checks that add up to something exactly. significant. So yep. can you give us any type of like range ballpark range for like what most uh, elementary schools would pay a speaker? I mean, it it really does depend. I would say anywhere between, oh gosh, I would say a thousand to three thousand is really what I've been looking at. You know, locally, I I keep it more, I keep it closer to the thousand fifteen hundred around there. Okay. And then obviously, when I'm traveling, more twenty five three three thousand, okay. which has been. I mean, I haven't had very many people just flat out be like, "Oh no, that's completely out of our range." Yeah. So that that seems pretty consistent, no matter where I've I've gone. Okay, and whenever it comes to elementary schools in general, it seems like there's a lot of differences in terms of like you have a kindergartner, and then you may also have mm-hmm. a, a fifth or sixth grader. And so, what does like the uh, like what's the how do you balance that from a speaking perspective? I have I have two kids at two totally different places <laughs> in life, and yep. I, like I know for me, I'm a dad of three girls who and <laughs> go you know there's about a six year gap between sure. the oldest and the youngest. I guess five years or so. And so just trying to yeah, navigate that you're both at different places in life. Um, so how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, no. And that's, I'm glad you brought that up. That was a great point. Um, cause I usually, what I'll do is I'll do two separate assemblies. And so I do one through K through second grade and then another one for third through fifth grade. Okay. Um, and sometimes there's six, but usually it's through fifth. And I found that 
has been really because I, I typically don't do question and answer like with the younger kids because they don't really know what that is. <laughs> they right, just right. want to tell you about their uncle or something, you know? <laughs> and so, so that one, you know, the younger kids is a little bit shorter. It's a little bit different. You know, I'm more, more animated, more yeah. physical. I do a lot of demonstrations and stuff, but then the older kids, the three through five, you know, they're, they're obviously a little bit more advanced and they can ask better questions. They understand what those are. Um, and so that's how I approach it. I actually just had one uh, school who they're a smaller school. So they wanted to do everybody in the same session. And I, I kind of had to decide like, okay, I know that that doesn't work very well because like you said, a kindergartner and a fifth grader, such different places intellectually, do I accept it? And, and just do my best with it? Or do I say, eh, I would rather split it. And, and if they say no, then they say no. Right. Um, in this case, I did say, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. It's like a group of, I think, 200, 250 kids. And so we'll just, you know, we'll make the best of it. But typically, I do split them just because it, it uh, is a lot more effective. Gotcha. Makes sense. So when you're doing a, a school assembly for elementary students, obviously the attention spans can be tend to be a little bit shorter than what uh, right. an adult might be. How long are assemblies normally for an elementary student? Typically, they're about 30 to 45 minutes is what I do. I, I was just telling a friend the other day because I have a lot of teacher friends who are, I've gone to various schools and they're like, we don't know how you do it. Like you have their attention the entire time they are glued on you. Yeah. And I'm like, well, remember... I have one hand, <laughs> so they are really, you know, their eyes are glued on me. That's they are for sure. <laughs> but, you know, but it is definitely, I mean, I, I mix it up. I, you know, I, like I said, I do a bunch of demonstrations and then I read the book and I have the book up on a, a giant screen behind me. And so it goes pretty quickly um, and I'm able to kind of keep them, you know, reined in for the most part. Unless, for instance, you know, I'm, I'm showing them how I swing a bat and the end of the bat flies off into the audience, which happened one time and no one was hurt, which was great. But I turned as red as the sweatshirt I'm currently wearing that nobody can see. But yeah, so it's so it's about 30, 45 minutes. Um, and then I do questions with the older kids, but it, it tends to go really well. You just have to kind of be in tune with. Uh, are there kids laying down? <laughs> like, yeah. what do I need? What do I need to do to get them to re-engage? But, right, right. but usually, I find that that's a pretty good time range. I got a couple of logistical questions. Do you find yeah. that that the is it the principal that is typically the decision maker on that, or who who are you typically contacting? Typically, yes, I would say either principal, assistant principal, or counselor. Okay, I would say those are probably the the three top ones that I'm doing now. Like I said, mine's a little bit more specific in that I have a lot of parents who kind of go to bat for me because they have a kid who has a difference, and so then they'll they're already following me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever, right. and that they'll be the ones to say, "Hey, I want you to come, you know, give me some information so I can go talk to." the people who are in charge, right. uh, which is, is good and bad. But I mean, there's a, a definite connection there that that is made beyond just the school administration. Do you find that that makes a difference? Um, a lot of times, yeah. I, I would say more often than not, I will get, I mean, I just had a couple this week where a principal of a school emailed me. I had not contacted them at all. And they emailed me and said, we're so excited that you want to come and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, I had just talked to the mom and said, right. yeah, I would be interested in coming for sure if we can work it out. I mean, so if, if they can get the administration excited, even before I talk to them, yeah. like that's that's a slam dunk. Like yeah. that's amazing. 
Totally. So, is there anything that you run into in terms of, of funding uh, or budgets of, of a school? Is like, hey, we'd love to have you, and I'm sure your talk would be amazing for our students. And we have some students with physical differences that would that would you know be over the moon for for you to come speak. Yeah. We just don't have the funds. How common is that? Is there anything that you how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, I mean. It, in my experience so far, it hasn't been too common. Like I haven't had a lot of those. I definitely have had some. And I, one of the things that I do, first of all, is just thank them for being interested sure. um, and, you know, keep me in mind if we can figure something out or if you do find funds to, to bring me in, I'm more than happy to do that. But then I also try to give them maybe some alternate options and just saying, hey, do you, like we talked about before, do you have other schools in the area that might be interested in also having me speak there? And maybe we can work something out financially that way. I also do like uh, pre-visit book sales. And so I'll have the the school will send home a flyer with the kids Mm -hmm. and then they send that back. And so, I mean, that can make up a a really a good chunk of, of the fee. So, I mean, let's say it went from I was asking just for sake of numbers, let's say I was asking for a thousand and they said, well, we can do 500 Mm -hmm. and I'll say, okay, well, can we also do pre-sale books? And they're like, yeah. So now if I sell 40 books, I've I've basically made that up. Um, So just kind of giving them other options uh, on what to do is, is good. But there are times too, where you just kind of have to say no and, and I appreciate your interest and maybe we can work something out, you know, some other time. Um, and that's hard, but it's it's part of part of it. Yeah. Part of the profession. Totally. The other thing I was going to ask you about is how far out do most schools typically book speakers? Because it's do, is there any type of set um, theme day or week or month, or is it more just kind of like you know we have a speaker you know twice a year and we need a right. slot for the fall and you know you mm. seem like a good fit or how far out is that typically happening and and what are they typically looking for? Yeah, I mean, it, I found it to honestly, it's been kind of all over the place. There have been I, I just got a rejection basically from a school that I had been waiting to hear from for like two months. The principal kept delaying it, delaying it, delaying it. And then finally they were like, oh, actually we only hire the same speaker every year. And I was like, wait, how did you not know that two months ago? (laughs) Yeah, I think there's, I don't know, kind of like spring and fall seem to be when they they bring someone in. All these ones in, in Boston I've done, you know, within the last month or two. Um, so that's not a very long time for them to be able to say, yeah, yeah we want you to come in um, and, and kind of bring you in. So, but it's, it, see, I think the, the further out you can book, the better, mm-hmm. um, just because a lot of times it's going to be like the, the parent teacher organizations that are doing that. And I know they like to kind of get stuff set. Um, so like right now I'm already looking at stuff for, next fall because they probably already have somebody this spring if they're doing anything and then it's summer um and so i'm trying to get ahead of it to say hey you know i'd love to do something even at the start of school yeah that's a good a great message to really kind of set the tone for the school year yeah so yeah that that's what i found kind of all over the board but as far out as you can, I think it's it's better. It gives them more time to figure it out. Well, and especially when you're doing like the, the kind of the block booking that you are, we have multiple mm-hmm. schools involved and you typically lead with one school that gets on board and then you got everybody else has got to check their calendar and check their budgets. Yeah. And so yeah. it, it can be a few hoops to jump through in order to, to make sure. it all work. And a lot of them do um, get grants as well. Mm-hmm. That's something else that um, I've had a, a few schools do that. They got the information from me so they could write a grant specifically to bring me in to speak. Yeah. And so that's something, the more time you give them to do that, the better. Cool. I like it. Uh, let's go back. Let's wrap up with this. I want to go back to 
you're in the health insurance space, you're interested in speaking, done a little bit of it before. You could have taken steps and 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 done what you've done in terms of booking gigs and making progress on it. Or you could have said, you know what, that sounds like a cool idea, but I'm gonna stay over here and play it safe in the health insurance world. So yeah. what would you say to that that speaker who's who's listening right now going like, I'm interested in speaking, wanna do it, not really sure what to do next, and just need kind of that little extra push to, to get over the hump? I think tasting it is the biggest thing to when you're starting. Yeah. And what I mean by that is like, just go do something, whether it's a, a lo- you know, just at your local library or yeah. at your local school or even at your own business. I mean, I did probably my, my biggest speaking gig was for my own company um, where they sent me to St. Louis, Missouri, and they sent me to like three different cities and, you know, did all this stuff. And that was my own company. And yeah. so they recognized that, that gift in me and that, passion to, to speak and they were able to utilize me within my own business. And so yeah. I think if you have that urge or you're like, you know, I, I want to try it, just try it. Like you don't necessarily, you don't have to be paid, you know, just go yeah. see what it's like. And like I said, if you do that and then you feel afterwards, like, yep, this is what I need to be doing. Yeah. Then go do the next thing, you know? Um, and honestly, like this course has been huge for me. I mean, I, like I said, I keep, I keep going through it. You don't just go through it once. I keep coming back to things and to, to kind of fine tune things. And so if you need that, um, you know, if you need that urge, find, I guess the other thing would be find someone um, who does speak full time yeah. that you could meet with, you know, just go have coffee with them mm-hmm. and say, Hey, you know, I just did that with uh, Eric Ream, who's another, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he, he happened to be near me, um, in my state. And so I went and just hung out with him for a while and just gleaned what I could from his experience. That makes a difference too. I think just talking to someone who also is doing it to say, Hey, you know, what, what would you suggest that I could do as kind of this next step and have that accountability there as well. Cool. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for the time, man. We appreciate you sharing this with us. If people want to find out more about you, check out the book, uh, where, where can we go? Uh, if you go to livingonehanded.com, that's kind of my hub. Um, and then any social media, if you just do slash living one handed, uh, you'll find me there as well. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, but the, the website, you'll be able to find uh, the book and uh, store and speaking page and all that good stuff. Cool, man. We'll link up to it. We appreciate the time. Nice. Thanks for having me, Grant. Appreciate it. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ryan Hack. Again, if you haven't already, definitely stop by and check out Free Speaker Workshop if you want that step-by-step plan on how to build and grow your speaking business, how to get paid to speak. Definitely check it out, freespeakerworkshop.com. All right, that, that uh, wraps up episode 217. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.